Hello and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a podcast looking at the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosier, joined by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's been so long since I feel like I've been on the podcast. We had a holiday. I don't think I was on our last one. So it's good to be back. It is good to have you back. And as if Caitlin wasn't enough, we are joined this week by Corey Cheviak and Mariana Salivena. Uh, by day, they work in the games industry, but by night, they're climate activists and part of Climate Replay. Uh, climate Replay is an independent gaming organization dedicated to educating players and developers about making the industry and world more sustainable. Uh, Corey and Mariana, we're very excited to talk to you about Climate Replay this week. Thank you both so much for having, you know, for giving us your time and coming on the show. Super excited to be here. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, of course. So before we dive into Climate Replay, talk about the organization and what y'all do, uh, we like to have some fun kind of gaming, get to know you questions, uh, introduce you to the listeners. So let's start with an easy one. Uh, What games are y'all playing right now? Uh, So I've been playing a lot of Raft, actually. The final chapter just came out, and I am really, really enjoying it. I actually hadn't played um, before. And I started playing, and I really can't, I can't put it down. I've been playing so much the last few weeks. So that's, that's been taking all of my free time right now. <laughs> nice. Yes. What about you, Mariana? Uh, for me, I, I recently finished Elden Ring, which I played for, like, too many hours. <laughs> and, uh, finished? That's finished, impressive. I finished twice. I'm crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you finished twice? I finished twice, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, I can't even finish yeah. my first. <laughs> And the next one I'm playing is going to be Kirby and the Forgotten Land. That's very... I actually just picked up my copy this weekend, so that's next on my list, too. (laughs) That one is very fun. Now, this one might be a bit harder, and... Oftentimes when we ask it, we get, can we name multiple games? And yes, you can, you can name multiple games because our next question is, what is your favorite game of all time? Yeah, I've been thinking about this one. This is a really (laughs) tricky one because, you know, I do get, I've been asked this before and it's a really, really difficult one. Um, I I would say it's probably a toss up between Minecraft and Left 4 Dead 2. I just have so much space in my heart for both of those games. Uh, for me, it's an easy answer, because my favorite game is Final Fantasy VII, ever since I played it in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Mariana, do you enjoy, have you played the remake? What are your thoughts on that? I played the remake, and like, most fans are, are a bit scared of like, oh, they're remaking, it might be weird, but I'm just happy. Like, for me, it's a dream to, to have like your favorite game from childhood be, done mm-hmm. a remake. I'm so happy about it. So they they can keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least, maybe it's an answer tied to your favorite game, but maybe it's something different. Uh, what is your favorite video game world? Can you clarify whether you mean like a world save in a game or like <laughs> an actual like, you know, procedurally generated or designed world? It can be either. The way I wrote the question, I was thinking like, uh, I don't know if this is my answer, but like Hyrule in the Legend of Zelda games, mm-hmm. like maybe video game setting would have been a better wording. Mm. I think Sonic would be mine. <laughs> I, I love Green Hill in those Zone. Rings. <laughs> Jumping the mushrooms. <laughs> this is really tricky. This is really tricky. You know, there's, but for me, I think my childhood, I played 
the first generation Pokemon so many times. So I think Pallet Town might be just it's it's stuck there in my brain, just full of nostalgia. Just mm. that's I think that's what my answer is is like the nostalgia factor of Super Mario Sunshine. Mm. Like I just I want to like vacation in that world, even though it's like wreaked in havoc. Um, oh, that's a good answer. Was your, um, Corey, when you were clarifying the question, like the kind of world, were you thinking like Minecraft worlds? Cause you can create anything. Uh, you know, Minecraft could definitely work. And I've had a lot of very fun Minecraft servers with my friends, but I was actually thinking roller coaster tycoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Because there are some pretty chaotic things you can do in that game. And I'm pretty sure I did all of them. <laughs> Yeah, like Caitlin said, with the nostalgia, with all the answers y'all named Pokemon, Sonic, Mario, I think the music is also just hard to separate. You know, when I think of world, I think of the visuals, but then when I think of Hyrule, which is probably my answer, I just hear the ocarina theme in my head. So I don't know, kind of inseparable in that way. Yeah, video game music is a special genre of music. It's it's it it really cements the memories in your head the way music does. And they're always so good. It, they always nail it exactly. It's I um, this past weekend I was driving twelve hours home from I was in Missouri the past week, and on the way home I was playing like Celeste soundtracks and like Zelda. I just was like playing video game music, and it just kind of like transported me into those worlds when I was just driving and not wanting to be driving. Love the Celeste soundtrack. I love it too, yeah. Yeah, I own that one on vinyl. And even like, you, we were talking about video game worlds, you name Minecraft servers. Like the Minecraft music, also iconic. I'm in a, uh, a Discord server for like rare vinyls and you get pinged whenever they like become available. And the Minecraft soundtrack is like one of the most popular ones. It's always like, go, 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 100 copies available. It's amazing. Yeah. I... I think the Lena Rain, who did mm -hmm. the Celeste soundtrack, she did Minecraft music as well. Yeah, she did a big step, uh, which is yes. an amazing song. Yeah, she's done several in the last yeah. few updates. It's, she's done a really good job. Yeah, I, I'm like, I know I've seen her name. I've added those to my playlist. That's really neat. Now that we've all gotten to know you a bit better, let's get into Climate Replay. Uh, one quick disclaimer, Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may come up on this show, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit triplepointpr.com for our full client roster. And with that, let's talk about Climate Replay. Uh, so Corey and Mariana, tell us about your professional background. How did you get involved in the games industry? Um, so like my... My route was a bit uh, unorthodox. Uh, I actually started, my first career was in law, which is crazy. A lot of people get surprised by it. Uh, <laughs> and then shortly after that, I, I gave up and I started a career in art. And first I was working with illustration and then I decided to work more with like game art and concept art. And that's what brought me in the games industry. Yeah, and for me, it's not quite as far away as law, but I was studying uh, engineering, uh, specifically more like on the circuitry level and kind of like building computers, because I love building them, taking them apart as a kid. Um, and at some point during that, I, I was studying, I was uh, gunning for a math minor, which is like when you take five like high-level math classes at university. I got to the fourth class, which is number theory. 
and I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, I don't even enjoy this. Why am I doing this? And I switched into the video game design concentration uh, because I'd been modding uh, Minecraft for several years. And I was like, well, this just seems natural. And uh, yeah, that modding career kind of blossomed into an actual career in video games, which is super exciting. And here I am. <laughs> That's amazing. I have follow-up questions for both of you. I'll start with Corey. Like, what is your favorite mod that you worked on during that like kind of passionate phase? The, the biggest one is definitely my favorite one. It's called Tropicraft. Uh, so it's a Minecraft mod. Uh, and that started, I mean, after uh, 2011, I took a trip to Puerto Rico with a class from school. And I got super inspired. And I you know, I came back and I was like, I'm going to add a palm tree and an iguana, you know, things I had seen. And then I slowly just like it evolved over time as I met people and my friends started working on it. And it became this huge thing. Uh, and it really has like formed my career almost. So definitely Tropicraft has a lot of memories near and dear to me. That's really neat. And, and Mariana, tell us about how that transition from law to art, like what inspired, you know, you to make that choice? Um, I think like, uh, I, I, I thought when I started law, I was really motivated by making changes, like making a change in the world. Uh, but after a while, I realized that uh, you can't be unhappy uh, if you want to make a change in the world. You also need to be like happy and make a change in yourself. So that's what motivated me to go to games, because I feel like as a developer, you can do it for yourself and for like so many players everywhere. Yeah, speaking as someone who wanted to get into the games industry myself, like uh, it is because of people like you making games that do inspire people and bring a lot of happiness to them. So uh, I, you, you can't write stuff like this. This is a perfect transition. And speaking of, you know, making the world a better place, let's talk about Climate Replay. Uh, Corey and Mariana, tell us about, first, I, I did my best to give my own, you know, third-party explanation of what it was at the top of the show. But please, from your own words, what is Climate Replay? I think you absolutely nailed it, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> you pretty much nailed the essence of what we were trying to achieve, which feels really good. <laughs> that means yeah, we did a pretty good, good job describing ourselves. Um, but Climate Replay is effectively, like, we sit at the intersection of games and climate, and we really want to sort of help both the, the games industry be more sustainable and help the gaming community both sort of, like, help in that effort and also help the gaming community sort of understand and learn and be activated around fighting climate change using video games. Uh, and that, that is effectively what Climate Replay is trying to do, is, is combine both of those efforts. Yeah, in a fun way and like with a big community doing it together, which makes it even more fun. So Corey, you are the founder of Climate Replay. Tell us about like how amazing people like Mariana and the other group that makes up Climate Replay as it stands now got brought in. Yeah, um, so I can, I can sort of tell you the story from the beginning, which was effectively, I was, uh, it was a few years ago around the, the holidays, and I was kind of sitting alone in my apartment having an existential crisis about climate change like I kept having, uh, because I, I, have, I feel sort of internally this feeling of like I'm not doing enough, which is a terrible feeling that nobody should feel because it's simply not true, uh, but I was feeling it. And I really wanted other people to not have to feel that. I wanted other people to feel like I am doing something. I am working towards a, a cause bigger than myself to fight climate change. And I wanted Climate Replay, like I, Climate Replay just kind of came out of that as like, what is a community where there are so many people that want to work together that are really like wanting to give back, that are really wanting to, 
you know, come together as one and make a change together. And video games, like in the gaming community, was the perfect foundation for that. And so I, I kind of started something and wrote a few ideas down and then I just started poking people I knew and I was like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And slowly people were like, that's a really interesting idea. I would love to help out. And then I was like, okay. And then I started roping them in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> I usually say that core is like our Morpheus. He comes to like free our minds and bring us into climate replay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Corey, um, were you working in the video game industry before Climate Replay or was is this your introduction into the industry? Yeah, I've been working in the industry for about four years now uh, and Climate okay. Replay started about two years ago. Gotcha. So before, your found, like before the founding of Climate Replay, what in your experience were conversations around climate and gaming like at that time? Like, did you feel like there needed to be certain steps taken to start these conversations going? Or did you feel like Climate Replay was an addition to conversations that were ongoing? It kind of, it, hmm, that's a really good question, actually. It, it kind of felt like there were a few conversations that were beginning, conversations that were starting to pull people in, conversations that were starting to interest people. Um, I, I believe Team Trees was was coming out around then. And that really sort of was a, a good proof of concept for like, okay, clearly the gaming community really cares and they want to do something and they really want it to be accessible. They really want it to be something tangible. They can see this is actually making a difference. And I think with, with that sort of being a motivation, like I, I think video game companies have also started to take action through like playing for the planet around that time had just started. Um, but I, I would say generally the industry itself had only just really started, I would say, to publicly express that they're taking the issue seriously. And there hadn't been such a big united effort at that time, especially not one that pulled the community in. So as it stands now, how would you describe the gaming industry's relationship to climate change? I know that's kind of a, a broad question, but I'm curious like what your perspective on that is. Yeah, that, that's definitely a big one um, because there are so many aspects to it, right? Like the gaming industry, like every other industry, is an industry. And so it has a lot of aspects to it that are, that are high emissions, um, that affect a lot of people, a lot of lives. Um, and it, it's so, there are so many different parts to it. Like you could take anything from the actual you know, physical sourcing of, of materials to the fact that it is one of the most far-reaching media mediums in existence like billions of people play games so the relationship between like gaming and climate change is huge i mean it's it's affecting so many people and i think it's on the level of like you talk about movies and tv shows and the way that people sort of perceive media and they almost project the future that they expect to see that becomes the future we create and if you like if games only show dystopian futures then that's the future people who play games see that's the one that they expect but sort of like the jetsons was a good example of a tv show that sort of showed like oh maybe robots can actually be helpful in the future and we can have happy lives together and suddenly we start seeing roombas and other things that sort of like tie in those aspects of futuristic modern living uh coming to life so i think like the gaming industry as a whole and its relationship to climate change is i mean they're they're closely knit they're so tied together that's such a good point the video game industry kind of feels like the trojan horse of influential media because there's like 
you you mentioned billions of people and there are it's about like three billion people or one in three people on this earth play video games yet I, I know so many people who are like they don't they might play games but don't realize how big of an industry like or community that they're connected with and so they don't feel like they have any sense of um power or like influ influence on changes in the world when in actuality they do which is what you guys are proving to people and spreading that awareness which is great so Corey, you talked about when when founding Climate Replay, this anxiety that I think is very relatable to a lot of people these days of feeling, you know, just kind of facing this insurmountable challenge. Um, what then, like, how did you, you know, emerge from that to at least a degree to try to start something? Like, what uh, gave you the motivation to be like, there's something we can do? Um and what are those things that we can do? Big question. <laughs> um, and it's sort of two parts. And the, and, the, and the first part is what inspired me to kind of take action and to make this a thing. That's kind of how I've always been. Uh, when I see a problem, I really want to solve that problem. I don't like sitting and stewing on a problem. And kind of like Mariana said, like I realized that if I really cared about the planet, if I really took this issue seriously, I couldn't just sit and be sad about it because then nothing would get done. And me, like my personality is very much, I like to go out and do things. I like to activate people specifically. I really like to get other people involved, like Mariana. I like to inspire people to take action and also enable that action. Um, and so what I set out to do was effectively create a platform where I could inspire and enable other people to take action. And that's sort of how Climate Replay came to be. And the other part of your question is kind of around like what, other people can do. Um, and maybe it's good to talk about that in a few parts, sort of like what the gaming industry could do versus like what players and other people could do. Um, and the gaming industry, like I said, is very tied to it. And there's a lot of, a lot of things here. Um, I'll try to condense as best as I can, but effectively, like it depends on your role. So for instance, if you're a game designer, you can take time to research and incorporate different climate concepts into game design. Like maybe renewable energy technology is in your game. So take some time to read about like what's out there. I mean, solar and wind, a lot of people know they exist. Maybe they don't know so much about them. Maybe people don't know about like hydropower or geothermal or even like wave energy that's coming out now. So there's a lot of ways to teach people about up and coming concepts that I think people may not. I think also there's a really good opportunity to teach people without realizing that they're learning because they're having so much fun. Actually, Raft is doing a very good job of that with me, with like water filtration systems and things. I think it's a, like a perfect idea to kind of take concepts that may be a little bit too complicated for people normally and condense them into something they really get through a game and using that game design to do that. Um, maybe like as a programmer, obviously you can work on decreasing energy consumption by making the code more efficient and combining that with sort of like eco settings in a game where people can actually take advantage of that performance optimization. So maybe they can cap performance at a certain value and then it doesn't compromise on gameplay, but it also uses less uh, energy. And that in turn, if you're not running on renewables, uses less uh, fossil fuels. Um, if you're a backend developer, their games need servers, right? Authentication, data storage, whatever. A lot of energy, like those draw a lot of energy, like a lot, a lot of energy. And there's, you know, Google and Microsoft and a lot of other server hosts are switching to renewables uh, fully for their platforms. And I think it's a really good opportunity to take advantage of that 
And even if you don't make the network code more efficient, at least first switch it to renewables. And that's probably an easier task than rewriting your entire network stack. Um, and just in general, like there are initiatives like the Playing for the Planet Alliance. Uh, the UN is helping to organize that, and a lot of game companies are joining that together to code both like create uh, climate like activations in games and also uh, commit to certain climate goals as studios. Um, offering game codes to charitable initiatives and organizations that want to use video games to sort of raise awareness and help people fight climate change that way. And then like one example I really want to highlight that a game studio did really well was uh, Us Two Games. They used Alba, uh, a wildlife adventure, and they planted one tree for every download of that game. And I don't, I don't know what it's at now, but I, last I saw they had planted like 450,000 trees or something awesome like that, which I think is so inspiring, right? Like that's a studio that took a tangible thing and a tangible action from a player and they just smushed it together and were like, okay, just plant a tree for every download. It's very simple, very easy to understand. Uh, and it shows that like the possibilities are endless. It's really just a matter of sort of taking an idea, coming up with an idea, taking a concept finding out how you can use your game, your design, to specifically activate and inspire people. Yeah. And if we think like on the player side, there's also like many different ways that you can engage with it. So like, for example, maybe a studio has an initiative, like Corey mentioned. So like, do it, engage yourself and like pull your friends uh, and just like be part of it. <clears throat> Some games, they also have like uh, uh, echo settings available. So it's similar to what you have, like accessibility. So you can check if that's happening. Uh, it's something a bit new, uh, games are doing it more and more, but it's always like worth checking it. And uh, simple things like turning off your screens if you're not playing, like your gamer computer, like all the lights and everything, <laughs> it consumes a lot of energy, so just like turn off if you're not playing. And uh, if you have the possibility to use like renewable energy in your house, uh, do it as well. And uh, like also engaging yourself uh, by getting loud, uh, like tell your favorite studios, like maybe your favorite games, uh, get in touch with the studios, do like on social media, talk about it, uh, like do as Corey is doing, like be the Morpheus for other people as well, like try to like engage them in these initiatives. And I think that's what's really cool about what Climate Replay does is, as Corey explained, like looking at the different dimensions of the problem and then finding the solution that it's it's not just on the developer side. It's not just on the player side. It's, you know, in the mission statement for Climate Replay, it's it's everybody um, getting involved. And Alba is such a great example of that because, you know, it, from the game design itself, it's very, um, it's kind of that first idea you mentioned, Corey, of uh, educating and getting people thinking about like ecology and how you know different groups of animals and environments interact with each other but then it's not just there it's and then from the release of the game it's doing something positive to help it beyond just within its you know product um yeah i think that's really neat uh, and if I can add to that like i think that sort of hammers home the con the, the idea that you should always kind of find the thing that you care about most and then build the sort of your, your personal campaign around that thing. Like if you love skiing, you should focus on finding a way to keep people skiing during climate change. Like find a way to preserve the mountains and the snow tops, right? And it's the same with Alba. Like Alba is a game about ecology. So it focuses on trees. It would be really weird if a game like Call of Duty were like, we're <laughs> gonna plant trees, right? So I think you should, you should find the cause that fits your game because that's where your audience is. That's the one where your audience is gonna meet you right there. 
That's a great point. So part of what we're talking about here is education, um, which is, you know, one of the many facets of the climate change problem um, that has gotten better, but oftentimes devolves into like doom and gloom education and not so much looking for solutions. What is Climate Replay's approach to educating gamers about climate change? We, we sort of picked three pillars that we try to base everything we do off of, and that's fun and... Uh, let me start over that. Uh, fun, <laughs> education, and inclusivity. And the reason we chose those is because we feel like they fully incorporate everything we want to achieve as, as, a, as a project. Like we really want people to have fun when they're, when they're learning things because it's really way easier to learn if you're having fun. That's why games are such an effective medium for teaching about climate change. Education, same thing. People will learn without even realizing they're learning. That's the best way to learn because you're just it's just getting right in there. It's bypassing all of your block of like, I don't want to learn anything. It's just going right in. And then inclusivity, we want everyone to feel included. And so with these three in mind, we try to focus on solutions. We try to focus on things that either are already working or can work if they get enough people involved or enough something, enough X that we can help provide. Uh, we try to be super clear and provide really simple communication. A lot of research papers are very complicated for good reason. And we try to really simplify it to where anyone can understand because we really want it to be accessible to people. Uh, we try to make things as relatable as possible. That's why we use games. Games are a really great way to relate to people. Um, they're great for teaching people, activating people and inspiring people. But they're also really good at, at people can say like, oh, I remember that game. I played that game before. Like, oh, that concept. Oh, yeah, that, that. And drawing connections like that. And ultimately, we want to make climate action multiplayer. Like we really wanted to make this initiative something that everyone can be involved in together. Because when you're doing something alone, sure, you can do that. But when it comes to climate action, it's, it's really, really, really hard to make a difference on a systemic scale as one person. And so we wanted to show that the gaming community, the global gaming community is in this together. And so a lot of our initiatives and how we try to educate people is to show them like you're not alone in this. Like this is actually something a lot of people care about and a lot of people are doing with you and they're right here with you. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the initiatives you guys do with Climate Replay? Yeah, I mean, um, I can start with that. Corey can help me out. Uh, but like we have a Discord server where we gather like most of our community we have some discord activities uh, we had like the the climate quests which is one of the things that one of the initiatives we were doing inspired by like games and the games structure so each week or like each period of weeks we set out a few quests and uh, we had like everyone in the community accomplishing them together like sharing uh, of course like each one of their different countries because we have people from all over the world uh, but it was a way for us to like I don't want to say gamify, but uh, more of like being inspired by the way that games uh, make activities fun and engaging mm -hmm. for a community. Yeah, uh, we <laughs> yes, that is climate quests have gone really well actually, and people have really engaged with the idea of taking these small, very easily accessible actions and doing it as a group. And it's been really fun seeing people come together and do that. Uh, we've also done a live stream. Uh, with uh, British Red Cross, which was really fun, and that really focused on teaching people about climate adaptation. 
uh, we really tried to focus on, like, we were, we were playing Stardew Valley, so it was very casual, having fun, playing games, talking about climate topics, and I think that's another good example of kind of, like, involving our community. They were in the audience asking us questions, and someone from the British Red Cross was answering, and we were sort of discussing it together, and kind of taking that idea of, like, everyone playing it together and discussing important topics. We organize sometimes climate cafes as well, which is a more, like, a laid-back... Uh, talkative, discussing your feelings, uh, very open. Uh, so we have a, a chat or like a, a call with our community where everyone can just like say what they're feeling. We talk about relevant topics that have been happening, uh, but it's very like an unstructured conversation. Uh, it's supposed to make people open up and talk about their feelings and we can all like heal together. Yeah, and we also have a, a sister server. Um, I don't know if their name is such an important part of who they are, as, as I've heard, but uh, Alex Harris, who is a, a climate communicator on TikTok, um, he does a really good job of, of spreading the word about important initiatives. And he came in and also has spoken to our community a few times about what he does and how to get involved and how to use social media, actually, to create really important climate action. And I think that's another example of kind of taking an audience that really cares and showing them like, this is a single path you all can go down with me and we'll make this change together. That's really cool. I love the community aspect of the Discord server and the live streams. Um, is this a Discord server that's open? Say if like any of our listeners want to join, can they join and where do they go to do so? As a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> it is a public Discord server, and you can find the link on our website. I believe in the top right corner, there's like a little controller icon. Uh, unfortunately, the URL is not a fancy like Discord URL. This just, you know, discord.gg slash climate replay. I wish it was. It's a bunch of random characters. So you can go to our website, and you can find it there. And we'll include a link in the description for the episode you're listening to right now where you can find the Climate Replay website and follow them and then join the Discord server. Um, uh, Mariana, well, you were talking about uh, like gamifying uh, climate action. I think that's actually really neat. We read a book. We do a, a triple point book club. And we read a book about a year ago uh, called Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal. And it touched on that exact thing about like, things are just more fun when they are built in this a multiplayer um you know sense of engaging a group at a time like Corey touched upon and mariana, mariana like you said like this sense of accomplishing things a little bit at a time because ultimately that is one of the many things that makes climate change so scary is it it feels insurmountable so being able to break it down to some sort of quantifiable or you know checklisting uh, I think is, is very important to helping people feel like they can actually make a difference. Yeah, if you look at like how, how games work, they're basic, they're very basic action. So sometimes it's like go from A to B, but then you make something interesting and make it fun. It's like you have to go from A to B, but you have an obstacle or you have to like go really fast or you have to go together. So that's like the same thing that we're doing. Like we take these actions that we think that are important, they're cool to do, and then we just like create a twist to it, let's do it together, you have to do it, but it's like that. So yeah, it's really like applying the game's logic into the climate activities. I think it's also a really good example of how like climate action can be fun. I think it's sort of like in school when, you know, teaching can be fun, learning can be fun. It's just a matter of presenting the information in the right way. And I think this is a good example of that. 
Yeah, we all remember those teachers that made a subject either (laughs) really boring or really exciting. Like the fact that I had a teacher make algebra exciting and I looked forward to that class shocks me. (laughs) But she did it. for, for either of you, some of the games that um, you, you've already mentioned, a few like Alba, um, but what would you recommend for anybody who's interested in playing games that have to do with climate change and what games would you recommend? And then a second part of that question is what kind of games do you classify as eco-friendly or climate positive? What do they have to make them fall in that category? It's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't have a list just purely off the top of my head. I will say that we have a series on our blog, actually, where we where we write about uh, games that touch on climate, both on the positive side and the negative, sort of like dystopian side. Um, so that would be a good place to go to find better examples there. Uh, I think a few that come to mind besides Alba, like Eco, is is a very clear example of a game that's just purely about you know the environment around you and how that affects the world. Um, I mean, you could look as far back as like, you know, SimCity had natural disasters <laughs> and it did depend on actually how much you sort of polluted the air and, and contributed to that way. Um, on the blog, I think we also have Frostpunk, which is a very dystopian game taking place in the future. I really don't recommend that when you're looking to take climate action and get inspired, but it is touching on the subject. So I figured I would mention it. <laughs> um, I bought that game this week. So great. Good to know. this. <laughs> I have a few that come to mind as well. I'm gonna say again, Final Fantasy VII. I think it's a great game. Like I remember playing it as a very young girl, and uh, just like it, it is uh, like a fantasized version of like climate disaster a bit. Uh, but it's like a very beautiful story of like a group that goes comes together to like fight against it. I love that story. And uh, Death Stranding, I think as well, is a, is a game that like is loosely based. On the like, a, it it is one of the dystopian futures, but it has like a very nice message I think about like also the community joining to make the change to operate the change in a world that is a bit broken. Um, I think Corey gave examples of like more literally like action games that you take actions, and I'm giving more examples of like uh, games that apply this in a fantasy setting. And I I think it's actually really interesting that you know thinking of this topic and i i've done research before and unfortunately my mind is just blanking on the the titles that that do touch it from a positive perspective but it is a good example of how like we can always think of more dystopian titles than than utopian titles when it comes to climate and i think that alone should speak to one the possibility like like there is so much room for creating these utopian worlds and i mean the success of stardew valley shows that people love that and and two like dystopian games are, there's so many already. So do we really need to be told even more what will happen if we don't stop climate change? Like, no, probably not. But what (laughs) would be useful is to be motivated to see like, oh, that's the world we can create if we actually do, you know, turn it around. That's inspiring. Yeah, I, I think this was, it was one of the Summer Game Fest showcases that this game has stuck out and I remember it to this day but it's it's called Terra Nil and I'm not sure when it's coming out but it kind of combines both the dystopian and utopian where you take like a barren wasteland and it's like a reverse city builder where you take you, you basically are like 
constructing an ecosystem. So it's like, it's going the opposite way that most games that I think we've experienced have gone. And it's one I'm looking forward to, but I'm not sure when that comes out. I think so we may have covered that on the blog, actually, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was like maybe the Wholesome Game Showcase. I remember it felt like a theme. There are a few games coming out that have to do with climate change and eco-sustainability and those topics. Corey, you mentioned the need. You, there is a lot of dystopian fiction out there beyond just games, but I mean, they are prevalent in games as well uh, and kind of fostering the the need for you know, the positive thinking there with utopian game design. Uh, one of the things that Climate Replay is, you know, invested in are, are game jams and, and, you know, supporting this type of development. Uh, Climate Replay hosted its first game jam earlier this year. How did it go? I think it went really well, actually, like super well. Uh, it was really cool to see how many people were interested, first of all, in joining I thought it was really fun how we kind of helped people create teams with people they didn't know. And people were able to, at a distance with people they never met before, create games. And it's super cool. Uh, the theme was regrowth. And that was actually voted on by our community. We gave them like a big list of options. And that was the one they were like, that one. We want that one. Uh, so they did a theme around regrowth. It was about a week long. And it was really great. We all helped each other. It was very collaborative. Um, some people shared music, like they created tracks that people could use in their games. Some people just shared game knowledge. Uh, some people shared art, like Mariana was helping out with art with different projects, including mine, which is really fun. Um, and just in general, like the games covered a bunch of different topics. Uh, maybe Mariana wants to talk a bit about those. Yeah, I mean, like uh, from this topic, Regrowth, we had like a lot of different games covered. Corey and I kind of did a game loosely based on like uh, uh, soil quality and uh, and we had like other games that were about like pollination, fertilizing, fertile crops, forest regrowth. So like it's I think one of the coolest things about game jams is like seeing how a, a single theme can like sprout in so many different directions. And for us, it was like really really cool to see like these many different games approaching regrowth in like completely different directions. Really. Yeah, and then we, we ended it with a live stream where we actually played through all the games and it was really fun to kind of tie it all together at the end there and the community really loved that we you know played their game on a live stream. So it was a really fun experience for everyone involved. And I think as Mariana kind of alluded to, like the biggest learning for me was how accessible it is to create these climate concepts and games. It's not always about creating a game that's about climate change. I think Mariana kind of said this earlier, like you can have a single thing in a game that accurately teaches a topic that's beneficial to fighting climate change, and that's still incredibly useful. Like, if you show that regenerative agriculture is better than, you know, tilling land, that's hugely beneficial because of how much soil, like, absorbs carbon and stores it. So it can be a single topic, even like bees. Bees are amazing. Bees pollinate crops that we depend on for food. And those plants, you know, absorb carbon. Yay, carbon. So it's a lot about kind of taking these topics and, and educating. It. And I think our, our community did an amazing job. Yeah. And like educating in the games way. Like you can, instead of just like writing this down and like reading it like a research, you can just do like, like the community did, like a tower defense of soil protection. So that really like just throws it in your face in a, in a fun and cool way. 
Well, congratulations. It sounds like that was a success. And I'm assuming the answer is yes, but are you guys planning any future game? Uh, I've just game jam. Sorry, totally spaced on the name. Um, and how soon do you think you'll do that again with your community? Uh, I don't know about how soon, uh, but we do have an idea already for, for another jam and we, we kind of already know what we want to do for it. So definitely planning to do that. That's great. And can people follow that in the Discord, I assume? Yes, that would be the place to go to follow that. And we have, when we, when we do the jam, we actually set up a bunch of channels, one for each team and then a sort of like general channel to just discuss with all the other teams that are working on the games. That's great. Another thing Climate Replay has done this year is in April, uh, the organization published an NFT guide in collaboration with the IGDA Climate Special Interest Group. Uh, could you explain uh, what the mission of this guide was and how it came about? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Do you want to start, Mariana? Yeah, I can go for a short thing. Uh, Corey said in the beginning that like Climate Replay exists in the intersection of games and climate. And NFTs is a topic that is like lives right in that intersection. So right from the beginning, we knew we had to do something about it. But it was like we had to gather so much information first because it was such a difficult topic. It involves like crypto, not only NFTs, and like games were mixed in the middle of it. So first we knew we had to do something and we sat down and discussed like, what are we going to do? And the process of getting to that knowing we had to do something was just people constantly talking about it. And, and we kept hearing from artists, from game developers, that this was the thing. And we really wanted to understand why it was the thing. And then we started seeing a lot of you know, like harsh feedback on both sides. And we were like, well, why? We, want, we really want to know why. And as we started to look into it, we realized just how much information was lacking in people's descriptions of it and also how there really wasn't a central place to understand in an unbiased way like what is actually going on in the games industry when it comes to nfts there really was no place to understand that so we we wanted to create that basically yeah and i i urge everyone who's listening and is interested to please go and read that nft guide but if you could give like the elevator pitch of what exactly like what is this NFT guide explaining, like how how do you guys describe NFTs? And then maybe talk a little bit about the digital ownership pledge as well. I would describe the guide overall as a sort of, I mean, I don't want to use the word guide again, but it's effectively <laughs> a tool for game studios and players to understand the effect that NFTs are having on the games industry and the planet in one unit, basically. Um, and the, the sort of, the, the way we structured it is we wanted people to understand each of what we, what we felt were the most important aspects to it. And that's sort of covering like the risks, the climate impacts, um, how it affects studios and communities, and how we kind of got here, how it's currently being used, and how they are being discussed as being used in the future. And then sort of our take on it and, and how we would like studios to act going forward. Um, and we, we took an approach of we really want to encourage positive discussion. We want to encourage healthy conversation. Uh, what I've noticed when it comes to NFTs is it's very much a, like you are either firmly in the camp of I support this all the way, or I'm firmly not in the camp of supporting them so far that I will curse you out every time you try to tell me to use them. And that's not a good <laughs> uh, environment for having constructive discussion. And I also noticed that it's a very technical topic 
And as someone, someone who knows the topic really well and is very technical could easily persuade someone who doesn't know the topic very well and isn't very technical to do, to do this without actually giving them all the information they need. And so we hoped the guide is structured in such a way that it is non-technical enough to be understood by people who aren't technical and clear enough that anybody can get a firm understanding of it. And the kind of conclusion or the end of the guide is the NFT digital ownership pledge, um, you know, sort of trying to instill all the learnings from the guide and, you know, take action from there. Could you explain what that action is, what, what the pledge is? Yeah, so like when we were structuring the pledge, it took us a long time to like really nail the tone because as Cora said, it's like a very sensitive topic and uh, we felt like we didn't want to like attack on it like oh we're not gonna do this this and that but instead we just like gathered all the risks all the like uh, delicate topics that are surrounding this not only nfts but also crypto and we made this like pledge of uh, topics that we wanted people to take positive action on so like these are the topics that could be a bit problematic let's do things in a different way maybe this whole nft thing uh, brought up some themes that maybe the industry wants to continue exploring maybe it's like collectibles who knows but there are other ways there are other ways to do it that are not only dependent on this technology so that's kind of like a bit how we want you to, st to structure the pledge not like shaming no don't do this this and that like do this learn from this do the research and do it in a different way maybe and, mm -hmm. and we've received actually some comments and criticisms actually about the way that we decided to, to put the tone of the pledge from people who are against NFTs entirely. And they said it wasn't strong enough. And I, I really understand where that feedback is coming from because you know we, we, we understood going in that that would be the feedback we would get. And the reason, as Mariana said, that we, we chose to go with this is because we really want to have constructive conversation. We really want even the pledge itself to drive conversation and, and have it be constructive. Because if you look at what we're actually asking for here, it's it's for the benefit of the planet, it's for the benefit of players, it's for the benefit of developers and studio health and games as a whole. And we really try to, to nail down the very core aspects of what are the biggest risks, what are the biggest issues we see. And if they were solved, would we be in such a bad situation, you know, in with everything else not changing? And we really tried to, to hit those points. And I think with the tone we have, I'm, I think we did. Yeah, I think like as it is now, NFTs, it's never going to be possible to do our pledge and NFTs as they are today. So it's like it is not a responsible way to use NFTs. It's more of like learn from this thing that happened in the industry, find out what, what was important to you about it and like find other ways to like achieve this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's just some of your, the key points in the pledge is that I like, I really enjoyed and I think are missing from a lot of the NFT conversations and what really gets people going is like, one of your things is like, it's the number one is bring meaningful value to players. I, I see a lot of people who are getting involved with NFTs and it feels like just that part is missing and that's where so many people are getting hung up on and I totally understand that feeling from them um and then also like just don't shift the purpose of your game from uh, enjoyment to earning money which is also another thing that you have 
in your pledge. And again, I just, I urge anybody who is in the video game industry to read your guys's guide because it explained things to me better than, I mean, I, Corey, you mentioned it. It's a lot of technical talk. And so I was doing Google searches and felt very lost of what NFTs are, how they're being used, what are the benefits, what are the risks? And I think you guys really nailed it. Thanks. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Super appreciate Thank that. Thank you so much for saying that. It makes me so very happy. Like, it was a lot of sleepless, sleepless nights digesting all those like technical, <laughs> technical. Oh, I'm sure. And and I will tell you, I was very much an anti NFT person. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want like, I was like, I don't see the value. Um, but that mindset has definitely shifted since reading your guide. Yeah, I think that again, that like positive conversation, solution oriented conversations are what's ultimately going to be the, the like help push the conversation forward of, you know, realizing I like the way the guide starts is like for better or worse, like NFTs are happening. So, so what next? And, and I, I think the guide does a great job of answering that. And again, mm -hmm. like Caitlin pointed out, like identifying the value in that um, and making it in a way that is sustainable. I think it's super important to be pragmatic uh, when it comes to NFTs, but also when it comes to climate, right? Like we cannot change the fact that we are already in a climate crisis, but what we can do is change what we do from this point on. And I think it's really like, that's sort of what our guide is trying to say is like, it's important to not focus so much on what's already been done, but to, to take notice of where we are, how we got here and use that to create a better future. So then on that note, having covered so much of what Climate Replay has already done, uh, is there anything you'd like to talk about what's next, what people can look forward to? Yeah, I think like a, a bit on the NFT guide. Uh, one of our next steps I want to do is start some outreach. So bring this guide forward, like talk to other studios, uh, like uh, players, maybe like game students as well. So like in the NFT research topic, we're not going to let it go. We're just like going to keep the momentum and like bring it uh, as much as as much people as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think on that note, like one thing we did kind of because that that guide was it was a marathon. It was not a sprint. Um, and what we kind of did after that guide was, you know, we put it out there. It actually got quite a bit of press coverage, which took us a little bit by surprise, but we were really excited about. And we kind of, that, that was a big rush. And we kind of took a step back and took a breather because, you know, we do this in our spare time. We do this because we care a lot and we really want it to be something enjoyable that we do. So we took a little bit of a step back and tried to focus on like, okay, what do we want to do next? How do we focus our time so that this doesn't exhaust us, so that it doesn't drain us, but more inspires us and energizes us? So outreach is the big one. Uh, we also want to look to what else we can do sort of similar to the NFT guide. Like how can we provide more value to the game industry on topics that maybe felt a bit out of reach, topics that, have, that are at that intersection between games and climate, that we as a unit of researchers, climate activists, and game designers and artists and people who love games, like how can we take our combined knowledge and actually help educate the industry and also involve the community in this? And then... On that note, looking for ways to involve our community in what we're doing, providing ways for them to make an impact. And uh, yeah, like Climate Replay started because we wanted to help the community take action together. So finding every way possible that we can to involve the community in what we're doing to help the industry is, is really what we're going to focus on. 
So on that note, as we wrap up the episode, uh, of course, in the description, again, you can find links to Climate Replay, join their Discord. Is there any other call to actions you'd like to put out there to listeners, you know, at the end of this conversation? Okay, I'll go. Uh, For me, the biggest one I would say is to find your catalyst. So I mentioned a bit earlier, like it's important to find that thing that really energizes you and really, really gets you out of bed in the morning because this is a long fight and it is exhausting and it will drain you if you let it, which is why it's super important to find that thing that you love, find that thing that you care a lot about and make that the thing that you build your climate action around because everyone can take climate action There's always a topic that you care about that will relate to it. So find that, find your catalyst. Uh, Maybe it's games. If it's games, that's awesome because that's ours. So uh, find that for you and then find a way that you can get involved no matter how that is. And I'll add to that, grab a friend and do it. Don't do it alone. Grab someone. There's a lot of communities out there. We are one of them, Climate Replay. We're always like open arms to receive anyone, but like do it together. Uh, community uh, is better than doing it alone. And if I can add one more thing to that, because that is a really amazing suggestion, is if you feel like you don't really understand enough about climate change, if you feel like maybe like you've heard about it or you know it's so bad, but you don't even know why, like uh, there are a lot of good documentaries out there. Uh, the one that actually inspired me to action was Before the Flood by Leonardo DiCaprio, his documentary. Uh, I watched that and I cried, and then I realized I really had to do something. So that's also a good thing to do is to to look for those. That's great. Well, on that note, uh, where can people, of course, again, in the links, Climate Replay, but Corey Mariana, where can people follow you to keep up with your actions, both personally and professionally? You can find me in any social network with the handle Cookie Cat <laughs> from Steven Universe. Yes. So I'm everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, I'm always open to like, answer messages anything like reach out and uh, you can find me on most social medias as kojo max 99 which uh c-o-j-o-m-a-x-9-9 taking my childhood cats into my username forever (laughs) i love it uh caitlin where can the people find you um i don't have a cool username (laughs) it's just my name so caitlin redwing on pretty much all social media you can find me there yeah, uh, like Caitlin, I well, I don't want to say, mine is lame. Caitlin's <laughs> is not lame, but uh, mine is also just my name, uh, Sam Scott Mosier. You can find me everywhere. And you can find this podcast at Real Time Strats on Twitter. Email us any questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. Thank you all, Corey and Mariana, so much for your time. Again, this has been great and a very, I think, productive and educational conversation. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank it's you been so an absolute much. pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Goodbye.